Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. My name is Mark Ellis. I am joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Jacqueline Coley. And Jacqueline, when you think about this time of year, some people go pumpkin spice latte, which I still have never tried. But I got to say, I'm a little curious. For whatever reason, this is the first year that I've actually wanted to try it. What is happening to me? Um, You're getting older and you're just embracing like your old manisms. I mean, look. I will say this. I don't see you having like a midlife crisis, but I could very much see you getting into like dad gear without having children. Like you're already you're already embracing sometimes the dad jokes. You you definitely enjoy sports (laughs) puns better than most people. PSL is like that's the extension. I hate pumpkin spice latte. If they ever made a sweet potato latte, I'd be all about that. But I am more of an eggnog girl. Okay, so we got one more. Like holiday, we got another half holiday season to go to assage your thirsts and appetite. But yeah. a lot of people do. There's a raging debate about candy corn right now. And of course it is Halloween. I am pro candy corn for what it's worth. And I'm also very pro this franchise that we are going to talk about today. Yep, we're talking about an entire franchise. And that would be Scream. It started back in the mid 90s and it just turned the horror world on its ear. The meta examination within a very fun whodunit sort of movie slasher film context directed by Wes Craven is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. We were so young. There's a 4K of the film coming out soon. And in January, get this kid, Scream 5 is going to be released in theaters around the world. Most of the original cast coming back, at least the people that are still um, alive in the movie that didn't die off in the movie are coming back for Scream 5, we hope. And it's just going to be a fun time breaking this all down today because the first two films, Certified Fresh, no problem there. Scream 3, all the way down to Rotten at 40%. Scream 4 rebounded for the most part. It got back to fresh, barely, at 60%. So we're going to be talking about what we love, what we don't like, and what we think Rotten Tomatoes might be wrong about with these four Scream movies that we have gotten a chance to see. And our guest today is a returning favorite, friend of the show, needs no introduction, mainly because he can tell me what to do. And so I'm going to give him a very good one. That would be the Rotten Tomatoes editor-in-chief. He's a horror enthusiast and 
a scream stan. Joel Mears is back on the show. Joel, I say tomato, you say tomato. Let's not call the whole thing off because we're talking about scream. Absolutely. Nice to be here, Mark. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you doing? Hi. This is going to be fun because Joel has, I've known Joel uh, for years now, and I think probably the first time we met, he did profess his love of scream. But Joel, you also have some hot takes within the world of Scream. So what exactly is Rotten Tomatoes? Again, you're the editor-in-chief of Rotten Tomatoes. What, <laughs> what is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about when it comes to this franchise? It always puts me in a tricky position. Yeah, when actually my first day at Rotten Tomatoes, one of the things they do is ask you for your five favorite films, which is a column that we do. It's sort of a way of introduction. And Scream was number one on my list. So I think uh, along with our good friend Perry Nemiroff, um, we are potentially some of the biggest scream stands out there. Ah, and our producer today, I think, um, is uh, or editor today is also a huge scream fan. Um, so I think that Rotten Tomatoes is generally wrong-ish about the scream franchise. I think they get some of it right in terms of the overall trajectory, but I quibble with the numbers themselves. So I do believe myself and most fans would say one and two are the best films and deserving of their certified fresh status, but I think they could be a tad higher. I think Scream is certified fresh at 79%. I think a horror classic of this ilk should at least be in the 90s. Uh, then Scream 4, uh, 3, dripping down a, a rotten. I disagree with completely. I think it should be at least fresh. I think it's an underrated gem, and we can get into that in a bit. And Scream 4, 60%, I'm pretty fine with. But yeah, yeah it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. Um, but yeah. I'm always changing my opinion because these movies I rewatch probably constantly. I've probably seen Scream 1 upwards of 40 times, Scream 2 upwards of 50, and the others sort of in the 20s. Uh, and every time I have a different experience and sort of uh, change my mind. So I have been warming to Scream 4 in the last couple of years in a way that I didn't love it when it first came out. Yeah, I, I remember feeling the same way when Scream 4 first came out. And I was like, yeah, right. It was nice to see everybody again. But 40 times for that first one. It may change for you, Joel. It never changes for Tatum, unfortunately. <laughs> Jacqueline, Swish. you now get the... I, I would say this is actually going to be a fun one to do a, a synopsis for. Because sometimes we got the movies on here and it's like, yeah, what, what do I talk about? What do I leave out? But Scream, I mean, come on. You get to talk about Ghostface and who he's killing. Yeah, actually. And actually, I was just going to say this, Mark. I have been told that I don't get the duties today as a sort of tribute to the scream aficionado that he is. This and is also dangerous. because I did not study to do that because I knew I didn't Jack, think I was like, doing it. You do the I didn't do. <laughs> no, it said that you were doing it. I was We told. all read our agendas here. Don't worry. We, we read the spreadsheet. We know what's going on. So like neither of us studied for the assignment is what it's sounding like. But of the two of us, I'm putting more faith in you, Joel, of giving us a brief summary of the Scream world. You don't have to give plot summaries of each movie, but just uh, sort yeah. of I've been what, studying, what are we dealing with here? Who are the players? What are they doing? Studying for this exam since I was about 12 years old. So, <laughs> um, so the Scream franchise is a horror slasher franchise that centers on three characters, essentially. So there is Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. She's an ambitious uh, TV uh, host, uh, news reporter, with uh, likes to change her hairstyles from time to time. And then we have Dewey Riley, played by David Arquette, who is the deputy sheriff of Woodsboro, the local town, and sort of gets a career boost as the career as the movies go on. And Sydney Prescott, who was our final girl, played by the great Nev Campbell, who was coming out of Party of Five when the first movie came out. Um, she is variously a high school student, a college student, uh, a 
therapist and then a professional victim, I guess, in number four. And so essentially what happens with each film is that uh, a group, they get the, attacked by someone with a ghost face mask. Uh, we wonder who it is and why they're doing it. The people around them in their lives get attacked, uh, killed usually, and these three survive all the way through. Uh, and the big question is who and why is committing these, uh, these brutal murders, which usually involves some form of technology at the beginning of a few films. It was a phone call, a few quizzes. If you get it wrong, you die. Uh, most famously in the opening scene with Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker. Um, and then the interesting thing is that the films really do interesting things with the horror genre and the settings. The first one is kind of a play on Halloween meets Scooby-Doo and comments on the slasher genre. It's very meta. Everyone understands what they're doing. They're in a horror movie. Two is sort of your college campus, and it looks at the idea of fame and violence. Three is set in Hollywood. Uh, they're making the Stab movies, which is a series based on the original Woodsboro murders, which happened in Scream 1. So it gets very, very meta. Uh, and then four is kind of a reboot. And, uh, well, it's definitely a reboot. It's kind of your Force Awakens, old gen, new gen, uh, with a twist. Um, and it comments on the nature of reboots. So there are rules for sequels, trilogy closers, which don't end up being trilogy closers and reboots, and there's lots of blood. Um, Kevin uh, Williamson wrote and directed the first few, uh, didn't direct them, sorry, Wes Craven came in, directed them uh, all four. So I guess that's it, and we're, we're gearing up for number five, and uh, Dewey, Gail, and Sydney are back. This is, uh, we should have the guests do the synopsis every time, Jack, when it takes the work yeah. off of our plate, and Joel is one for one as far as guests coming in here and telling us what the hell we're talking about. That was delightful, <laughs> Joel. And but I'm not letting you off the hook yet because you did mention right. Scream Three it takes place in Hollywood, and I am going to make you defend that. I, I want I want more insight into your opinion as to why Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about that. But before we get there, let's bring in Producey Lucy. Let's make this a party right now. What's Producey up? Lucy is here. Are you a Are you a Scream Queen? Hell to the no no. <laughs> um, I watched it. When did it? When did the first one come out? Nineteen ninety-six. So I, I probably I didn't see it in theaters. I was six years old, but I probably saw it like two years later at a slumber party, and it effed me up in the brain. Oh, uh, I can't okay. do horror, um, and all I remember is the end scene where the guys are like stabbing, like uh, Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard are like, aren't they like stabbing each other or something? They're like in the yes. kitchen and bleeding. Yeah, yeah. that blood. scene is. Heared into adolescent Lucy's brain. And sometimes when I lay awake at night, that's what I see. All right, we got to get Lucy. <laughs> we got to get wow. Lucy back on this. You know, the 4K is coming out soon. I'm sure that we have some connections. We can get it to you. And, and you need to give this another chance because <laughs> Joel, Jacqueline, and I are clearly fans of the franchise. And even if we have quibbles with specific movies within said franchise, it is just a fun one to celebrate, especially around this time of year. So, Joel, what is it about? Scream 3, the movie that gets panned in the franchise more than any, it's 40% rotten, that Rotten Tomatoes got wrong. Well, you know, I think the critics who reviewed the film at the time uh, were very quick to dismiss it as not particularly scary and having fallen on some of the tropes that the first two films kind of skewered and parodied. Um, but I think what they missed was that it was actually making a super interesting comment about the nature of Hollywood. Um, and I think this is a film, A, I just think it's fun. So you've got to take it as a comedy, right? So I don't know if we're getting too in the weeds before we hear from the critics in two minutes with Tim. That's me, the editor-in-chief, saying, we haven't done two minutes oh with Tim yet. <laughs> <But>, <laughs> <laughs> subtle, subtle there. Tim, Tim's waiting in the wings somewhere. 
Um, but those critics, I think they missed the point that this was leaning very much into the comedy over the horror, which had been this sort of established in the franchise as a nice blend. And they did that partly because um, the Columbine murders had happened recently. They had to redirect the entire film to get away from sort of high school student violence. Um, but I think it really works as a comedy. We can get into a bit more in a bit, but I love Parker Posey as uh, Jennifer Jolie, clever naming, um, mm. who plays the Gail Weathers character in the Stab franchise. Um, and it's being reassessed in the light of the Me Too movement, because if you watch this film again, it is essentially about a woman who is used and abused by Hollywood, that's Sidney Prescott's mother, um, uh, by a character played by Lance Hendrickson, who is essentially a stand-in for Harvey Weinstein in a movie that was ultimately EP'd or produced by Harvey Weinstein. So it's actually a really interesting meta-commentary on what Hollywood does to people and the ultimate trauma, which actually then triggers the beginning of the original film. So I think it's got lightness and fun and is really well-directed and executed. It's silly at times, but then there's this really dark, interesting underlying message that sort of resets the entire franchise. He came to play today, Jack, when Joel not only came I to... I my give shirt. His this thoughts. is my uh, it's Jennifer Jolie shirt. shirt. Mm-hmm. Wow. With those bangs on there, too, I think. Oh, uh, this is, yeah, this boy. is Parker Percy's bangs. Just, uh, this, yeah, this yeah. is part This is oh, not the infamous uh, Courtney Cox screen yeah. through that. This yeah. is the second time in in a month that we've had a guest come in so excited to talk about a movie that they actually wore merchandise based on said <laughs> film. We had Eric yeah. Striffler with The Mummy, and then we have Joel Mears with Screen 3. Jacqueline Coley, before we get to two minutes with Tim, because Joel really wants us to get there now, <laughs> what is your take yeah. on the Scream franchise? What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter got wrong? I think that in, in truth be known, I don't think it's actually that far off. I would say that the first two, I think, are judged on a pre-elevated horror critical community that basically were pleasantly surprised that it was watchable, had a plot and a little bit more to say than big boobs and dying girls. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like that, that was where they were at that point. And now looking at how it recontextualized the way we view horror and how we sort of the commercialization of that before Tim jumps out in this next segment and calls me wrong because people did it before Scream, but Scream did it in a way that brought in teen girls, which is still to this day, the thing that does not get talked about. I remember watching Dawson's Creek on the CW and they played promotions of Scream like on the, like every commercial break because Kevin Williamson who did Dawson's Creek also wrote Scream. And so that was the thing. They made this a horror movie that just wasn't for, you know, these horror head um, kids. It was also something that teen girls could get into. And by the time we get to uh, Scream 2 with Jerry O'Connell, they are leaning into that for everything that it's worth. Look at how many Tiger Beat, um, I would say, frequents are in these movies. That's a Excellent point. If you don't want to wait for your life to be over, then um, you should probably act on it now, especially if you're Drew Barrymore's <laughs> character, because it's not going to last long. I yeah. actually feel similar to Joel when it comes to Scream 3, because I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember having some good scares in that movie, in addition to some laughs. And so I don't think that it belongs down there at 40% rotten. I'm going to put it up there on a par with Scream 4, and I'm going to get it too fresh, because there is a scene in particular that still can creep me out to this day in Scream 3, and it's when Sidney Prescott sees what she believes is like a her the ghost of her mom, like slowly walking toward... Ooh, that is good horror movie stuff right there. That is some good... Now, whatever happens after, you can debate, but oh my God, that's a legit scare in a movie theater 
And so, and I think we can all agree that the first cream feels like a 90 or a 95 percenter. It doesn't feel like yeah. it belongs with the C plus kids like me in the high <laughs> 70s. And so now we are going to move on to see what the critics had to say about Scream at the time of those movies release for our segment that we love because we love our expert review curation manager, Tim Ryan at Rotten Tomatoes. Here it is. Two minutes with Tim. Two minutes with Tim. Scream wasn't the first horror film to satirize the conventions of the genre. Student bodies in the Evil Dead movies had it beat by a few years, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein by decades. And director Wes Craven had previously made his own meta slasher movie in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. But Scream's monster success laid the groundwork for self-aware horror to come which included the likes of Final Destination to Cabin in the Woods to the Scary Movie franchise, which took its name from the title of Scream's original script. So let's break down the franchise by the numbers. Scream is certified fresh at 79% with 75 reviews. Scream 2 is certified fresh at 81% with 79 reviews. Scream 3 is rotten at 40% with 126 reviews. And Scream 4 is fresh at 60% with 187 reviews. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review for the original Scream, Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times wrote that it was a brava provocative send-up of horror pictures that's also scary and gruesome, yet too swift moving to lapse into morbidity. However, in a rotten review of Scream 3, Mark Harrow of the Chicago Tribune wrote that Despite the various surprise cameos and cute twists, it takes itself too seriously and adheres too strictly to its formula to avoid becoming what it parodies. So that's Scream. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, two people who know that there are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a podcast. Back to you, folks. And you hear Tim. I'm not sure Tim is as big of a fan of these movies as we are. I detected some saltiness. The shade was uh, knee deep yeah. on that one. You could you could definitely feel his uh, look accurate assessment, but heavy handed dismissal. Can we say <laughs> I that? I think that's a fair assessment. And I look, he's absolutely right. Uh, was Craven's New Nightmare? I think came out two years before Screen, mm-hmm. but it was kind of a warm up. I love that film, and it's it's, great. it's, yeah. it's really well done. But it's not the perfect sort of uh, mechanical thing that Scream is. It doesn't get everything right. It's playing with the same ideas. I think it's super scary, but it's it's not quite there. I think it's, it's you know, those ideas have been played with, but had they been done in this way, I don't know. Tim, Tim meet me out back. Uh, <laughs> 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 going to have a, uh, a little chat there between Tim Ryan and Joel Mears, and we're about to have a little chat right now about the actual movies themselves and what we love, what we think could have been better about the Scream franchise thus far. It's time for Movie Talk. All right. It is our favorite Scream movie time. I can't get around. I would love to have a hot take about this, Joel and Jacqueline, but the first Scream just does. It checks every box for me. I saw it in the summer of 96 in a theater. My friends had already seen it, and they said, you're going to love this movie. We were down at the beach for some reason, and so we went to a movie theater, and I fell in love with it. I loved the horror. I loved the humor. It was the perfect combination. And Joel, going off what you said about Wes Craven's new nightmare, which you did a couple of years prior, it feels like that movie had most of the ingredients. This one put them all in the Vitamix and just made the perfect smoothie of a movie and added a lot more humor because new nightmare is actually the least funny Freddy Krueger's had been since the original. Nightmare on Elm Street. He didn't have a lot of one-liners <laughs> like he did in Freddy's Dead, yeah. The Final Nightmare. And so 
having that sense of humor and the fact that it hit me when I was in high school and I'm watching high school kids go through all this, it just, it, it made a perfect elixir for me. Scream 1, by far my favorite. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in here and uh, agree. Yeah. That, uh, well, no, I'll say Scream 2 is my favorite overall. It's favorite being the one I like to return to the well most frequently to watch. And I think that's primarily because for me, it just has so many sort of rewatchable set pieces in the way that Scream is kind of a perfect film, but ultimately between that opening kill and the first uh, sort of interaction where Sydney gets her first phone call and gets Ghostface, there's there's not a huge amount of sort of bigger set pieces that happen. And I think in Scream 2, uh, until of course the finale in the house where it traumatized Lucy for, for many years, Scream 2 <laughs> has um, just more, for me again, spectacular things I like to rewatch. So you've got the opening scene with Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps, which I think is degree of difficulty to try and match that Drew Barrymore scene, um, but do it in a really innovative way that isn't full of jump scares, but is absolutely traumatizing and emotionally uh, wrenching, I think. And Jada Pinkett Smith is so fucking good in that scene, yep. uh, is incredible. Then you've got the uh, CC, Sarah Michelle Geller in the sorority house, which is a kind of nice nod to... Um, uh, the opening scene of Scream and does it, I think, pretty effectively as a sort of homage and similar kind of sequence. And then they kill off Randy to give us the big shock death in a really fun daylight scenario. I'm also, I think Scream 2 is by far the gayest. I think it gay baits the hell out of me and I love it for it because <laughs> got, the hair improves incredibly. You've got Timothy Oliphant and Jerry O'Connell just giving me those vibes all throughout the film. You've got theater class. You've got dramatic theater class with like, uh, you know, the, the scene where the weird tro Trojan sort of situation, but it's very hyped up and very, uh, you know, and then you've got um, Laurie Metcalf as the most ridiculous over-the-top villain in maybe horror history since Michael's mother, uh, since Jason's mother in uh, Debbie Salt. So I think it really lays it on. Um, so it's my favorite, but I will say on the screen, the original screen is definitely the reason I'm in my job. Like it's the thing that ignited my passion for movies. I saw that in the cinema when I was 12 years old with my friend, uh, my brother, who's a bit older than me, had come back from movies two days before and said, you need to see this movie. It's terrifying and be there for the opening scene. And my friends and I convinced his mother not to go, but to go with us to the line and convince some guy in line to pretend he was our uncle so that we could get in because it was rated MA15+, plus, which is an Australian uh, rating where you have to be 15 or have a guardian. Uh, and we got in and the movie traumatized and delighted me and I was on a path ever since then um, that led me down the movie passion lane, but also the Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, I have a bit, big space in my heart for number one, but it's the one I want to just watch when I'm two two bottles of wine, <clears throat> uh, two glasses of wine in on a uh, Thursday night. <laughs> uh, just want to sort of get that comfort food. Uh, it's always going to be oh, and the scene in the film school. I cannot when she's sort of in the the, yeah. the soundproof booth with Dewey. I just there's so many great sequences. So Scream, yeah, the first Scream, it's like any high school kid should be able to relate to some character in there. And Scream 2 is more for the theater kids where you get to <laughs> celebrate all the sets and stuff like that. And you bring up a bottle or maybe a glass of wine. Jacqueline, I never had anybody stand in line for me to buy a ticket at a movie theater. We were too busy tracking down randos in the parking lot of the grocery store to go buy us beer. <laughs> that was that, that oh. was the main thing that we needed from adults at that time. It wasn't buying a movie ticket. I also think in Williamsburg, Virginia, I bought a ticket to Nightmare on Elm Street 6 when I was 12 years old. They did not bat an eye. And so I think they were just a little more forgiving in the woods where I grew up. And you got to see all the Scream movies at some point in your life. Which one stands out as the goat? Man, that sunset is gorgeous. 
Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Uh, Scream 3. I literally am like because I feel like we all talked about it no they didn't care they cared about IDs and corpus but I think all of that has ended because of the internet now oh. like really is anybody even checking IDs if you're coming in there with the thing where you're just like scanning your way into the movie theater I don't know I, I, kids that are uh, alphas let me know are you having a hard time getting in to see Parasite <laughs> because of like age restrictions I don't think so but that's just me um, I saw all of these except for Scream 4 in the theater. This is what's weird. On its face, Scream 2 should be my favorite. And in ways it is because it has some of my favorite scenes. I can't believe I'm going to be the first one to mention Jerry O'Connell standing on a, on a freaking <laughs> cafeteria table singing David Partridge, I Think I Love You. Yeah. Which was given us courtesy of David Cassidy. Like, come on. Come on. Like that is probably one of the great spontaneous song scenes. And I think Heath Ledger robbed it for every inch it was worth in 10 Things I Hate About You. (laughs) Um, But anyway, like I love that movie. But the reasons why I hate it is because of the Randy dying scene. And because because I literally was like, I cannot believe they're killing him. Like, I know it's brilliant, but like. I have, uh, there's too much emotion attached to the people they killed in this movie. When they killed him and when she didn't believe Jerry O'Connell was not the killer, I was just like, I was so mad at her. I think I was mad at Nev Campbell for like a good decade after that. (laughs) Like easily a good decade after that. I was so over her. Like I just, ugh, I couldn't deal with her. It was almost the same way I like had a thing against Reese Witherspoon because she killed Ryan Felipe basically and cruel intentions yeah. like if he wasn't trying to go for you he would have lived anyway um <laughs> so yeah i i should like scream 2 the best so i think scream 1 wins by default not because i love it more but but it just didn't hurt me as badly scream 2 hurt me like it literally like i remember like my old screensaver from back when i was like had an AOL dial up modem and it took me a while to download you've it you've got was mail. the Scene. Yeah, was the scene of Nev when she steps up to him <gasps> on the table and like they're like in an embrace right before he kisses her. That was my screensaver. I have a question and- about yeah. um, 
uh, sororities and fraternities because we mm. in Australia don't really have these. Uh, I grew up in Australia. Um, and so our education about this comes from movies. And so I watched Scream 2 and think, is this what college is like in America? Sounds the murders. And I'm curious, is this giving your Greek letters which happens in the film. Uh, Jerry O'Connell's character controversially gives his letters from his fraternity in the necklace to Sidney Prescott, much to Mickey slash Timothy Oliphant's uh, like warnings that you shouldn't do that. Um, is that a thing that happens? Is that like a show of love to give your letters to someone? It's a, I don't know about yeah, it's, that. It's, it's sort of class like- Class ring is. It, it's like in high school is. when he did the class ring. If you were in a fraternity, you might give your letter. It depends on college by college. I was not in a fraternity. It was not really- needed to get into the fraternity parties at Wake Forest. And so I'm like, well, I can just go to every fraternity party instead of just one. That sounds like more booze for me. And so you just kind of bounce around. But they also have these formals where you get to invite someone that you are fancy on. And that's kind of like a big deal in there. And so mm-hmm. it's pretty accurate. And and then you the way that fraternities are portrayed in movies, if you go back to something like Animal House, it's not quite that dramatic. And it's not obviously that much debauchery going on but there's the potential for it and then it also is a perfect setting to have a murder mystery that we have to solve and so if you have that if you have something like happy death day there's a lot of fun to be had on college campuses as long as it's a fictional murder that we have to solve and just one last screen two thing like we can't get off screen two without acknowledging the brilliance of Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart who have this yeah. like three lines in the movie but kind of get away with it as these two sorority girls um yeah, yeah incredible hi no I really mean that hi <laughs> <laughs> hi Sydney hey this must be flat out hell for you how are you holding up I manage it's really weird isn't it to think this fuss is all because of you I mean not directly but in some six degrees of Kevin Bacon way. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, Hallie, are you gonna bring your friend to our little martini mixer tonight? Uh, I have a lot of work we'll to do. We'll be there. Actually. Oh, good. Because, Sid, we have our eyes on you. You hang in there, and if there is anything we can do, the Delta Lambdas are very sensitive to your plight. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's the fun that I love about Scream, though, too, is, is because the movie franchise kicks off with Drew Barrymore and you see mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore at that time and you're like, oh, OK, I guess this is the star of the movie. And then she dies. And it's like it's just such a great announcement that this film and this franchise are going to take you in twists and turns that you're not expecting. So just hold on for dear life, because leading up to that you would think, oh, wait, okay, this is clearly the lead of the movie. And the way that that first phone, it's one of the great scenes in movie history. It's one of the great opening scenes, not just in horror movies, in any genre, because it so locks you into the tone. And it is legit terrifying. But I also loved it because that's probably the impetus for my movie trivia brain being like, oh, movie trivia might be able to save your life literally. My question to you mm. is if she gets these movies correct, if she gets these trivia <laughs> nuggets correct, do they spare her? I still don't think so. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It 
was scary. Wow, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. But would they no. just keep asking movie trivia questions until she missed one? Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Also, Squid Game tells us never get involved in a game where you're betting with your life. That's very this true. Scream 4 kind of answers that question mark because Kirby, who's played by Hayden Panettiere, is getting this is put in the same situation with uh, the the Culkin kid. Uh, I always forget which one. Rory. Uh, Here, Keir, is it Rory is it, or it's the one Keirin? who's not in succession. Um, oh, Rory, Rory yeah. who sat on the who sat on the chair outside by the pool like Steve in the original opening scene, and Kirby gets the answers right. I think right, doesn't she from memory, right. and then she goes out and they open the door, and well, I mean, I guess spoiler alert: uh, Rory Culkin is one of the killers. Um, proceeds to stab her. But that opening scene, I think, was game-changing and, you know, inspired by Stranger Calls and did just such interesting things and, I think, terrorized people. And they had to sort of one-up it or attempt to one-up it um, every film after that. Uh, did you, I mean, is that your favorite scene in, in the franchise? It's it's tough, but I'm also, I don't know how you feel about this, Jacqueline. I feel like Jamie Kennedy is so great as Randy when he's describing the rules to us. So I am thrilled that he was left alive in Scream 2 long enough to give us the sequel rules. And then yeah. you, but but him in the video store, I mean, again, as as somebody mm. in high school, that's that's what you aspire to. At least for me, That's that, that was the goal in life, was to just get to be the authoritative voice at your local video store. And he certainly was that. So when he's breaking down the rules, it's like he's we're stumbling around in this labyrinth and we meet some Randy, some old man who gives us his treasure map that we trust. And that kind of gets us to the castle. So I just I, I love that we have that that roadmap to go by. But we're also going to break some of those rules with a wink and a nod. Yeah, I will say what's interesting is every dude who was that guy in their town, whether it be a huge city or a small city, they all think that they're Quentin Tarantino, who's probably the most famous, <laughs> all knowledgeable movie store guy yep. who then happened to make like genre defying uh, entertainment that like, you know, really changed the way we look at cinema. But most of them are Randy. <laughs> and like there's just as many people that are just sick of his crap if you know what I mean like like it's just for as much as I loved him for being accused of being a know-it-all kid I get why some people are like stab him quickly because I was not I was in the minority some people were like yes kill him they did not like Jamie Kennedy I think and they just like did not like necessarily him as that character and so they were all about him meeting a horrible truck in a van, they killed him in a van. Like I still cannot get over how awful that is. And then he the, deserved so much better. The kids with the boombox come around the corner just to cover it up, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> he just deserves so much better. I'm still he like, got a great whatever. Kill. Like, I mean, isn't that what you want in these great... movies? Like, you want to go off with a bang. Yeah, I mean, that's how you, you want to do it. Bang, but in the third act, like, let him be the guy that like shows up and it's like, oh, I think I've saved you. I'm going to make it to the end, and then they kill him. Like, that's, no, that's a real Dewey. way to that go. That happens with Dewey, that and then Dewey. he sort of comes out of the gurney later every time, and he's like, I'm fine. Yes. And he's then like he's the like, energizer bunny. The next time. <laughs> Oh my what is God, the best such kill? An energizer is, is is it is it the the heartbreak that Jacqueline suffered at the hands of Randy's demise? What is your favorite kill in the history of the Scream franchise? I don't want to be hacky and take Drew Barrymore, but it's so good and shocking. But as I referenced, Tatum in the garage door is pretty inventive, and that that feels like it's just Wes Craven 
that feels like when he was going to set that day, he just had a, a song in his heart and a giddy up in his step. Couldn't wait to shoot that. And a very cold fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You see, Based kids, on people know when you get older, there's a lot of... Biology takes <laughs> over. <laughs> there's a lot of cold air going on Rose McGowan's shirt in that scene, and I don't think it was necessarily needed. It was but... the kill that I liked, Jacqueline. <laughs> Uh, my favorite kill, you know, it's weird to say this, but I will say that it's my favorite kill because nobody who gets killed in a memorable way, unless you're saying it's the villain is like a good kill. Like even when they kill, you know, Screech old, uh, Skeet Ulrich and he's just like, she's like, not in my movie. Like, that's like a great one, but actually Jada's kill. And I'll only say that because thanks to Mark Hoffmeyer, I actually knew this, but he reminded me, she asked to be killed gruesomely. And she asked to put in as many like eye rolling shade about this movie. Like she basically was like, I want to talk to you about all of the crappy, the the documentary horror noir, which breaks down black people in horror movies was burst with that scene because she literally just goes down the entire diatribe of minorities in horror films mm-hmm. and then ends up being the trope that she speaks of. But it's to me like fitting. It works. It it works. It, it works. And it was and, and you had to acknowledge that you can't make an entire horror franchise where you're commenting on all the tropes of horror without leaving that out. So that's a yeah, that's a pretty solid one to go to. Joel, do you have a, a kill that stands out that gets you out of bed in the morning? I think, you know, I would also say if we're taking Barrymore off the table, which I think we should, because I think it's the one. That's right? like the first um, round of fantasy draft. Yeah. Everybody's going <laughs> to take that one. I would say then it yeah. goes to, to Jada, but the other one I do want to shout out is the uh, sorority girl, Cece, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller in uh, the big soror- empty sorority house because she's sober sister, which I guess I'll ask offline if that's another thing that they do in these sororities. It is. Um, it is. Okay, yeah. she's sober sister. And so she gets the kind of the, the phone call. And I really like that because I felt it just gave us that opening scene of Scream, uh, original Scream vibes, but also because Wes Craven is just, can direct, you know, not with his eyes closed, because we, <laughs> maybe he directed Cursed and with his eyes closed, but um, he, he can just direct these movies like nobody's business and the framing and sort of build up in that scene and just the sort of way that he allows Ghostface to slip in behind her and sort of has us constantly on edge about what's going to be coming in and out of the frame. And the writing of that scene is actually really good as well. Um, you know, the, the girl upstairs, the Ted, uh, and then ultimately a sort of iconic finale to that, to that scene where she gets thrown off um, the, the balcony in a shot that goes on way too long for the, the height of that balcony. Um, I'm not sure what the temperature was like on set that day, but she was wearing sort of a ribbed cardigan, so maybe you wouldn't know. I shouldn't say that's probably disgusting. But it was a great, um, it was a great, uh, great kill for me. Um, I think there are other nods that we should pay. Like I think the Alison Brie uh, car park scene in Scream 4 is, mm-hmm. is pretty decent from an isolated kill scene. Um, and I actually think the opening of Scream 3 is a little underrated. Uh, in terms of killing the great, this is a way to talk about the casting in this movie, the great Lee Shriver, um, yeah. who has been there from day dot as Cotton Weary, and he gets it in the opening scene of Scream uh, 3, along with Kelly Rutherford from Gossip Girl and Miller's Place. Um, mm. And it's a really sort of just fun, sort of suspenseful play on the opening scene. I did not like the opening scene of Scream 4. That's what yeah. I mean. The, the the casting throughout all these movies is, is really impressive because you, you brought up, obviously, you have Nev Campbell, as our as our quote final girl Sydney Prescott and 
she's just got such the right balance of innocence and toughness because she's been through stuff that no high schooler should have to go through. And she really wears that on her sleeve throughout these movies. I also think David Arquette is ingenious casting as a young cop who's trying to still prove himself, who is still a dope, but also really wants to be a man. And, and you realize that being a man is more than just having a mustache and a, <laughs> and a badge. The... As we progress in the movies, I do agree. And 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 Leo Shriver's always always great, and he's just got that menacing presence where you just don't know who to trudge. But scout out the scout out scout out the skate. I mean, he's great. He is exactly who I want her boyfriend, who turns out to be the killer, to look like. Him and Matthew Willard yeah. together. It's just you have so much gold in that initial cast. Yeah. Also, Skeet Ulrich also at the height of his powers. Mm. Like yeah. it was like him. He was in that. He was in um, as good as it gets. In like the Skeet Ulrich with Kraft, That's the other one thinking of too. Yeah, like he just very like he was again Tiger Beat. Tiger Beat material was. You're you're, you're losing me with this tiger. Is that some sort of teenage magazine? Oh yeah, you don't know what Tiger Beat is. So Tiger Beat was a teenage magazine of hot kids. So like uh-huh. some Tiger Beat. Favorites are like in sync and Backstreet Boys, obviously, but also like it, it was. It, it was. It wasn't just for, for kids. Ki- it was for young girls. It was. It was for children. It's not like, hey, let's look at these hot kids. It was okay. kids who were hot at the time, and yes. they're like on Disney Channel. They're on Saved by okay. the Bell, and they'd be on the cover to get kids to buy the magazine. So that's sort like, of like, yeah. All right, I, yeah. I, I, Jonathan no, Taylor Thomas, Devin Sawa, Legends. those type people. Legends. All uh, time. Icon. Rose Tiger McGowan, Beat. though, like Icon. talking about casting, Rose McGowan in that original uh, original yeah. screen as Tatum is so good, uh, mm-hmm. like lightning in a bottle. Um, and then I think I think Scream Four is actually pretty well cast. If you think about uh, Hayden Panettiere as mm-hmm. uh, Kirby, who sort of comes in and is like a complete uh, breath of fresh air, and I should note dies in a way, quote unquote, dies in a way that she may not be dead. Who knows? Because we don't see the sort of full death scene. So could she be back for number four, five, which is actually not called Scream 5. It's a scream. What's it called? It's a scream. Scream. And then parentheses 2022. Um, But the other one I want to shout out as casting is uh, Marley Shelton as Deputy Judy in Scream 4. So she's the Mm. deputy to Dewey when he's, and she's sort of flirting with him. And Courtney Cox's Gail Weathers feels threatened and she brings him lemon squares. And she's actually, she survived. And she's now sort of melding into the four because she's going to be in Scream 2022 as well. And she's really fun. Oh, Um, wait a minute. I also just want to add, um, they made Gomer Pyle get in a horror movie, which I think like in itself, like if there was like, I know Dewey's had his day, but just the fact that they put Gomer Pyle in a horror movie and let that play out over the course of four movies, now five, very interesting. Henry Winkler as well. Let's, while we're having, yes. who, who's never out of fashion, um, but yes. really was great as the principal in number four. And I think in terms Uncredited. of like a quick kill, uh, that's a great fun little It's a scene. sneaky good kill in, <laughs> in the yeah. first movie when the principal eats it because he's looking in the mirror and especially at that time, I, I think we were all ready for him to do a Fonz moment, some sort mm. of reference to Fonz. <laughs> he's checking his hair and he gets murdered instead. The Fonz, he jumped a shark, but he is now fallen. 
Yeah. Also uncredited. Yeah. Uh, Henry Winkler was not in the credits for that movie. Um, and I forget what that's an homage to, but there was like somebody famous cameos that also like because they didn't want there to be on their IMDb or like whatever, they never put their name into the actual credits. Screen fans are going to kill me if I get this wrong, but I believe there is also an uncredited cameo within that scene, a nugget within a nugget when he is looking in the hallway. Uh, to see if there's someone yep. out there. There is a man in a Freddy Krueger style sweater mopping the floor, and that is Wes Craven himself. I have, I, I think you are correct on this, sir. It's a great I nod think to, to Freddy Krueger and, and Henry Winkler as the principal. It just added up to such a fun mesh mm. of of cat and, di- and divergent personalities in that first movie. And it spawned this franchise that we get now. And so before we transition into the behind the scenes stuff, because I do want to get everybody's take on what we're hoping to expect from Scream 2022, <laughs> I do have a couple questions about trivia. Sorry, y'all. Oh, I hear Jacqueline's dog wants to get in on this. I don't think any dogs have died in uh, Scream movies, right? I don't think they've done the, the kill the dog thing. I don't think any have have passed mm. away, but that, that, that and that's going to be one of the, okay. So remind me, I have a dog kill sort of question that's not mm. about actual dogs that I want to save for behind the scenes because I think it okay. I think it's, it's going to be a fun prediction for all of us. But before we get there, I just want to test Joel's fandom. Jacqueline can play along too. I have a couple scream trivia questions that mm. you should know, but you might get a couple of these jumbled. So, Joel, Jacqueline could be your lifeline. What is rule number one on Randy's list of rules for surviving a horror movie? Oh, Lord. Um, don't have sex. Joel gets the point. That is correct. <laughs> Do not make love until after. Oh, sorry. Don't make love. You survived the movie. I believe he has sex, so that counts. Um, all right. Your uh, next question. Two remaining. Which actress does Sydney say would probably play her in the movie version of her life? Tori Spelling. Joel is two for two, and he is cooking now. But now we come to the hardest and question. And she does in step. Yes, she does. Yes. Joel. Wait, what happens if I lose? Do I, is, there, is, there something, is there something in my apartment right now? I didn't want to <laughs> say. We'll never let you back on this show ever again. I wish I had that voice <laughs> modulation thing because I could have shifted right into that. Got me like a fish. Uh, would it, we should have hired somebody to dress as Ghostface to break into Joel's place. Just right <laughs> that would have been fun. What? That would have been Shout out no. to Roger Jackson, though. The voice of Ghostface is also returning for 2022. Wow. We're getting the whole gang back together. All right. So how many <laughs> really seconds is. in the in the first scream, how many seconds delay oh. does the hidden camera in Stu's house have? Oh, and my brain is saying 30 or 10. Um, I can give you multiple choice if you this want. This is also an amazing kill. Uh, just FYI, Kenny the cameraman. Oh, it's a great kill. Yeah, yeah. because they're, they're all at a party and they're watching Halloween and yes. and they set up a hidden camera. And then it's too, the delay is too long. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the poor. I'm going to say, do you want to give me? No, I'm going to say 30. Joel says 30. This guy has seen these movies <laughs> in bunches. That wow. is correct. Joel Mears, editor-in-chief of Rotten Tomatoes, going a perfect three for three on Scream Trivia. A couple of those could have tripped him up, but not joel joel is not running upstairs if there's a killer in the house joel knows better he's not getting a shower unless his trusty friends are around this guy knows how to do so joel the last word in this section is going to go to you what is it about this scream franchise that you just want to remind everybody about why you love it so much Hmm. 
Well, I think, I think there's two things. I think one of the things is that it's the rare horror franchise where you're actually drawn to the survivors more than the killer. It's defined by the core characters who are actually unmasked, in a sense. So Halloween, you know, Laurie Strode is important, of course, but Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy, etc., are the faces of their respective franchises. And this is really about Dewey, Gale, and of course, Sydney. And they are the pulling thing. And I think there's such a great dynamic between them. I think Sydney is just an incredibly powerful, strong survivor that it's something that I'm, I'm really drawn to. I know she pissed off uh, dear Jacqueline a couple of times, um, but there is something about Nev Campbell in this role that I think is just magnetic and defining and iconic. And I think there's a reason we continue to follow her through. It's also the only franchise that we've seen so far, five movies now in a row, where all of the cast has stayed the same. Um, I'm rambling, but also it's one of the rare franchises where they actually cared about each film, right? You know, that first film, often they go with the sequel and it gets trash and they just bring in anyone, but they really made important decisions creatively about who they brought in to be steering this ship. And we'll talk about it in the next segment. But yeah, I think, you know, obviously there's some nostalgia and it hit me at the right time in my life, but it's, it's survival and care and craft. Yeah, that's the perfect way to sum it up. And so with that, let's go to behind the scenes. Okay, so this was the one that I, again, no, I'm not rooting for dogs. That I have a dog who's currently snoring very loudly right next to me. But <laughs> the question is this. Do we consider Courtney Cox and David Arquette and Nev Campbell to be the dogs of this franchise in that they're unkillable? Are they unkillable because Scream 5 comes out in January or is one of them going to get off? How can this franchise continue to surprise us by keeping all of them alive? Ooh. Jacqueline, do you want to take this? Do you want to go first? <laughs> I think you should go first because in all honesty, I'm kind of like of two minds about it. I'm like, if you kill them at this point, I'm not going to be like 100% mad about it if you do it in a way that feels like you're absolutely passing the torch. Yeah. In a very like Robert Downey Jr. in Endgame type way. But if you kill them and it just feels uh, like Randy, I'm going to be mad. Yeah, I think, it's tough. I, think, I think one of them at least has to die. I'm going to put it yeah. out there. I think... You wow. I mean, five films in, five of these sort of scenarios, it's it's getting a little silly in some way. It could getting a little bit silly, you could say that. Especially Dewey, because he almost dies in basically every uh, every, <laughs> every film. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think they've got to be extraordinarily careful about how they do it. I think a sacrifice element is probably the best way to do it. We've seen that in Endgame um, and maybe some other movies that have been out this month, which I would talk about. Um, but there's, uh, you know, it's a really interesting thing I think also this film is really being set up as a passing of the torch in the way that Scream 4 was kind of set up, but then Emma actually turned out to be the killer. So they couldn't go that that way. This time they've got this extraordinary young cast. Um, is it Jessica Barrera from um, In the Heights, uh, along with uh, Mason Gooding Jr., uh, all these sort of great young actors who are there to really take that torch. Um, I think... I think they're setting it up where at least one of them has to die, but I do think it's a tight wire. It's a it's a tight rope, high wire act uh, uh, to really get Jen that Ortega, down. Uh, Dylan Minnette, uh, yes. Melissa Barrera in there. Uh, but here's Melissa the Barrera. thing, though, is that we we thought Shia LaBeouf was a great young actor, but he's not ready to take the the mantle from Indiana Jones. So I, I look at these three more as Indiana Jones than I would Han Solo, and mm. one of them still alive and kicking in fiction, the other one not so much. And so Jacqueline, I. 
again, we, we need to revisit this prediction because now we need to see this movie together opening night. I feel <laughs> like I feel like they're all getting out. I feel like they're all getting out of this thing scot free. I mean, again, I, I feel like I, if if Joel is saying one of them's got to die because it's cartoonish and you're saying they've all got to make it because they're the Holy Trinity, <laughs> I'm of two minds about it. I really am. I'm like, make it work, make the candle worth the flame and I'll be I'll be with Joel. But I'm telling you, if it ends up being weak sauce and I feel they're doing it just to do it. Basically, I'm it's, I'm being simplistic and saying make it good, yeah. which is like such an easier thing than done. But I will say this: I will be more forgiving of them letting them live and having it be weak sauce than I will of them killing them and having it be weak. Yeah, sauce. sure. That's that, that that's a fair point. And so, you know, I mean, Wes Craven is the guy responsible for not just this franchise, but so many of the great movies that we got that are winked and nodded at by this franchise originally was going to be called scary movie and it spawned a scary movie franchise. So West, the, the West Craven factor into this, I feel like Wes Craven is that rare, hard director that we all gave such credibility to that could pull something like this off. And I love the, the, the joke in there that Tatum says like that West Carpenter guy in the mm. first one, <laughs> it, it, giving a nod to John Carpenter as well. And so Wes Craven, what is before scream or maybe after scream, the career highlights of Wes Craven, for y'all was it was it the nightmare franchise was it are we going all the way back to you know the the really scary stuff in the 70s the hills have eyes the, the west craven for you joel who is west craven what is his marquee franchise that's not scream well definitely um nightmare on elm street my brothers locked me in the living room when i was seven i think or six and made me watch that film um, that's their job as brothers so i know and so really i legitimately had a uh, recurring nightmare that would begin with me seeing a spiral and then it would transition into a bed of roses with a gun in there because they also listen to a lot of guns and roses. <laughs> Guess what time, how old I am right now? Six, yeah, it's 1990. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then it would transition. I'd be in an alley and Freddie would be coming with those long arms, you know, down with his yeah. part from part one. So I was absolutely tortured slash enthralled and obsessed with Freddy Krueger from a very young age. Um, but that sort of led me into his other films. I think The People Under the Stairs is incredible, uh, incredibly progressive and interesting uh, film. Yes. I think The Hills Have Eyes is amazing. Also, I love The Hills Have Eyes remake, although it's kind of hard to stomach. Um, and yeah, I think I think uh, Freddy, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and New Nightmare are almost perfection. Um, Post-Scream, we could go on, but I'm like, Red Eye, give some love to Red Eye. It's a totally <laughs> different film. <clears throat> and you spoke yeah. about legitimacy with Wes Craven. Yeah, they gave him a, a Miramax uh, Meryl Streep movie after Scream. They were like, hey, you want to you want to do yeah. some prestige Oscar bait? Um, let's have some music of the heart directed by Wes Bloody Craven, <laughs> um, which is which is incredible to me. Also, I did mention he directed Cursed Blind, uh, but if you haven't seen Cursed, that is a hilariously uh, enjoyable misfire. It's basically trying to do Scream for werewolves, uh, and it was in post production for like one and a half years or two years or something, and it's a complete mess. Uh, it's written by Williamson as well, and it's so deliciously bad and so good with Christina Ricci mm. and Jesse Eisenberg and Judy Queer and Pusha De Rossi and Maya, the pop star Maya. Uh, go and seek it out. It's, it's a joy. I, I got to see Curse because there's been so many movies that have tried to do what Scream has done. The scary movie, obviously, is just a straight spoof with the great Marlon's, uh, Marlon Wayans and Sean Wayans, but Cursed Jacqueline. Is that, is that going to be your... <laughs> headline Wes Craven movie, or is there another one in particular that 
that uh, gets you out of bed or gets you to hide under the covers? I mean, yes. Okay, Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, without question, is just, it kind of sits in a different um, location as everything else. So it's kind of hard to ignore that and just to ignore what he did with that and ignore Freddie. That being said, I'm actually a bigger fan of some of the like deeper cuts and I'm not just being hipster on this. Uh, a, sh- a movie that we've done on this show, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn is Wes Craven. Yeah. And Joel already mentioned by one of Music of My Heart, saw that one because guess who did the song from that one? Little band we like to call In Sync. And I loved them and I saw everything that they did, including the bad movie that Lance Bass did called On the Line. Yeah, I watched that one too because it wasn't just the Disney specials, kids. If it had an in-sinker in it, no big or small, I was going to show up for it. In still to this day. Big or small. Big or small. Um, also, Freddy versus Jason, which is just like such um, another just we don't care anymore and we're yeah. just going to throw the chicken sink at this mm. and just do whatever we want. So, I want it to be yeah, great. It's, it's, I, I was so yeah. excited about Freddie finally taking on Jason. I just, I, but just the idea that they did it. I'll clear his mind. I'll clear his. He didn't direct it though. But, but the fact that no, they did he didn't. Yes. He did not. Yeah, the fact that they he, did it. Yes, he, he, he only yes. directed a Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he did Wes Craven's New Nightmare. But the scariest Nightmare on Elm Street movie to me, thanks to the first one, is Part Three, yeah. The Dream Warriors, where we get to meet. Freddie's mom who shows up and she's actually a nice character in the movie. She's just kind of leading this psychiatrist down this path to discover the origins of Freddie. Turns out to be his mom, but she's dressed in the nun uniform and she keeps showing up as this freaky ghost and she's wearing the all white habit, which is the nun away uniform, which looks even scarier. And I just can't do it. It's the scariest thing about any of those movies to me because at the end he sees her, he's trying to thank her, whatever. He's running around the corner and he stumbles onto a grave that says Amanda Kruger. It was Freddie's mom the whole time. Yeah. Still get the chills. Yeah. Thanks to and this stuff. First one without him. That's going to be an interesting yeah. thing. But it's it's a good team behind it. It's um I now forgetting their individual names, but they're a collective known as Radio Silence, right? Um, it's and, Matt uh, Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillett, and I think yes. w- one of the reasons why they were able to get somebody like Nev Campbell back is because I, I, according to Nev Campbell, they told they're like, hey, you're the reason why. We love mm. horror movies. Like, like you're the reason why we do this. And so we've seen that in the past, though. If you're too close to the source material, you're too much of a fan. It's all it's sometimes it's hard to do your own thing with it. But, Joel, you have a lot of faith in what they're going to do. Yeah. So for those who don't know, they're the filmmakers who made Ready or Not, um, which is a film that came out two years ago with Samara oh, Weaving, yeah. where she yeah. was uh, sort of brought to a mansion to meet, uh, I think, on her wedding day. And then there's a game that the family plays. That's a very, very effective horror comedy, extremely well received. Um, and you can see tonal similarities between the, the, the you can see why they were a good fit. And I actually did get to interview Nev Campbell um, last year for a film she did. Um, with Alex Wolf, actually, Jacqueline, who was a guest on our podcast. Um, and she said, yeah, she said they wrote her a letter and they said all of that stuff and they said that they really want to um, honor Wes. They have so much respect for him and his vision that that's what, that's what sort of got her to sign on, um, which is exciting. So I do have faith in them. They also contributed to a anthology movie called Southbound, um, which is really, really effective and scary. Uh, among the, that sort of like you know, multiple story horror thing. Um, so they, they've got the chops. Um, I do have faith. 
And the cast, I, the cast is really good. The young cast, I think, is really exciting as well. Okay, well, look, again, whatever we're all doing in January, Jacqueline, I know your schedule gets packed there. You got to make a night for us. We all got to do this together. We, <laughs> I think I can make time for we, that. We got to get, make time get Producey Lucy there um, because she's going to be terrified and that's going to be fun to watch. Lucy, are you signing up for our Scream 5 opening night voyage? Yes, but you have to pay me. Real money. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pay you in popcorn and all the soda you can drink. I know oh, our uh, beloved engineer, yeah. Christian Rubalcaba today. Brian Perez is going to want to go too. It's going to be it's going to be a fun. Of, that's why we love seeing horror movies in theaters. And especially if the horror movies are known for giving you some laughs, it's all the more fun to have that sort of theater experience. So last thing before we transition to mailbags, we got a fun mailbag today too, is this is a fun did you know. So there's two sports adages. Y'all tell me which one this is. There's it's better to be lucky than good, but then it's also the harder the work, the luckier you get. The crew got lucky when it was Wes Craven scouting locations for the very first movie, and they were in some abandoned house that they thought might work, and they found a mask that was the ghost face mask. They said, oh, that that could work for the killer. So that is how the origin of the ghost face mask came to be. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You can also, um, you can Airbnb the Scream House this month, I think. I do uh, that. The, the, the scene from the, the house from the finale. Yeah, they're doing a oh, promotion. Wow. So if you do, you know, want to get killed, I guess, go. <laughs> your friends, don't tell your friends you're doing it though, because they are going to try to mess with you <laughs> the entire time you're staying there. But again, if you're staying at the Scream House, it's kind of what you signed up for. All right, <laughs> let's transition over to Mailbag. We love all of the members of our catch-up crew who are listening today. They're certified fresh in our hearts, and this one comes from Ellen Musket, who wrote us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Y'all can follow Ellen's lead and send us an email with your thoughts what movies you want us to talk about coming up soon. And Ilan writes, Hello, Mark, Jacqueline, and to the rest of the team and the Ketchup crew. Ilan here, writing from Toronto, right at the beginning of TIFF. I just finished listening to Mark's fantastic discussion with Chance the Rapper while washing the dishes. That, see, we help you be productive with the household chores. Cleanup happens mm -hmm. late when you've got two toddlers. I want to advocate for a movie that I believe is shockingly underrated. Vin Diesel's passion project, 2004's rollicking gothic space epic, The Chronicles of Riddick. Its predecessor, the more modest Aliens knockoff Pitch Black, got a reasonable 60% on the tomato meter, so it's tied with Scream 4. But Chronicles of Riddick, which takes much bigger swings and stacks the deck with excellent classical actors doing top-notch work, Judy Dench, Colm Fiore, Carl Urban, Thandie Newton, and a return visit from They Live's Keith David, but it only managed a rotten 29%. Thanks and happy arguing. That is from... Ilan in Toronto, Canada. Thank you so much and give our best to the two little ones, Dad. Um, the Chronicles of Riddick. Joel, you are the editor-in-chief of Rotten Tomatoes. I know you don't influence the tomato meter, but 29%, you got some folks north of the wall not happy about that. Yeah, there might be something a little strong in her dishwashing detergent, I think. Uh, <laughs> some little fumes getting to lovely Elin's mind. No, look, we all have our films that we go to bat for. I will, to this day, uh, die on the hill that is Scream 3. Um, so all I'll say is, yeah, sure, it's worthy of discussion, I guess. Um, <laughs> the only thing I actually, look, I, I remember seeing that film and not thinking a lot of it, not thinking it was a disaster. Uh, so I could revisit it and give you an opinion, but I did remember Judy Dench. That's, I was like, this is the movie with Judy Dench and Vin Diesel, right? And with Judy Dench I, I, and Vin I just, Diesel. That, that alone, I think, maybe 
deserves a 50. Just, yeah. just that in the credits. Now we get to see yeah. him and Helen Mirren driving, speeding all over the place together. Uh, Jacqueline, yeah. have you seen this movie? Is this uh, something in your wheelhouse? Yes, I've, I've seen this movie. It, it is very Thor-like and is very fantastical, but is rooted in this opulence and sort of palace intrigue and all of that kind of stuff, which I actually enjoy. But I also completely understand why it's like negatively rated because it is doing a lot. It, there's, it, it was made by people who clearly cared and there's people who I think love it and have love in its heart, but it is a hard nut to crack. This is not like a casual watching movie. You need to be like watching it, paying attention to everything that's happening to get the whole mythology and everything that's happening. But I think it's worth the ride, mostly because of the cast. Hey, sometimes you care too much and you just squeeze a life right out of that thing. Don't let that happen to Scream 5 because we're all excited to go opening night. Uh, Joel Mears, the editor-in-chief of Rotten Tomatoes. It's always a pleasure when you stop by. Thank you so much for your insight, for your bravery in standing Scream 3. I am so looking forward to seeing what our loyal listeners have to say about that. I think I think they're going to agree with you for the most part. I think that a lot of people feel like this movie got a little bit shafted. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, it's scary. It's funny. It's a good time. And it's got some depth. Also, the best cameo in the entire franchise, Carrie Fisher in the archives. Look out for it. Mm. Not going to argue with yeah. that logic at all. So I you always ask the guests at this point, what, what are you working on? What upcoming products do you have? I know you got a book coming out <laughs> soon, right? We do. I could reach, but I can't. I, I, I was supposed to actually, but yes, we do. We've got a book coming out uh, November 9. Uh, binge... Uh, my God, the ultimate binge guide, uh, 296 TV shows that changed the way we watch television. So get that into you. It's a, it's a great book. Um, Jacqueline contributed. Uh, I contributed and wrote for it, plus a bunch of other people. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, it's hard. It's really beautiful. I'm really excited about how beautiful it is. You're going to want to give this to people. Is yeah. Monday Night Football one of the shows? What is that? We'll talk offline, Joel. We'll talk. <laughs> Twilight Zone better be on there, though. All right, so is on that. we we can't let you out of here without Jacqueline. What what uh, can you tell us? Can you reveal the secret? What show did you write about in the book? Uh, I wrote a very personal essay. I'm proud about Insecure, which yeah. still to this day weirds me out because I'm sure Isil is going to read it and it, <laughs> and it feels awkward because she's literally like what I want to be when I grow up, mm -hmm. and she's five years younger than me. But you know. <laughs> I, I've been, you also I wrote a beautiful piece about boondocks i will say that i did write something on boondocks as well mm. yeah both of those I, I would say i'm pretty proud of but honestly i've forgotten a lot because we wrote like several entries for this one um so but those were the two bigger ones okay i'm i'm excited to check it out and i think it's going to make the christmas gift of this year but again we're not at christmas we're at halloween so joel do you have any fun recommendations in the way of movies that the kids should check out during the spooky time of year Always. Um, I watch Trick or Treat every Halloween at least once, um, which is the brilliant um, anthology uh, with young pumpkin kid. Uh, it's, it's such a joy. Um, and I'll give some shout outs to some good old fashioned Australian horror. Uh, I would say watch Rogue, uh, which is a great crocodile movie. Maybe not as good as the alligator movie Crawl, but certainly very, very fun. Oh, I love um, Crawl so much. And then, yeah, we could talk about Alejandro Aja. Well, we were talking about him offline earlier. But, um, and then I would say The Loved Ones, uh, which is a sort of really, really interesting movie about a young woman 
who kidnaps the boy uh, prior to their prom slash what we call in Australia the formal and then kind of tortures him. And it's very violent and scary and good. And I believe it's certified fresh at 90 something ridiculous on the tomato meter. Um, so that's The Loved Ones uh, from about 2000 and somewhere between 2009 and 2011. Oh dear! Why would you? Why would you kidnap? Why would you invite more teens into your life than is is already necessary? That's a question for another day. After <laughs> seeing that movie, uh, Jacqueline, I don't think that we're quite done with the horror movie season just yet here at the show. Reminder: you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Subscribe, rate, review, whatever platform you choose to listen to this podcast. We thank you for your support and make sure you do whatever that platform encourages you to do to get this rated positively because y'all have been so good at it. So let's keep up the good work. And Jacqueline, next week, again, are we on to Thanksgiving? Uh, not quite on to Thanksgiving <laughs> because we've got four more weeks of October. Uh, I just, but I just, you know what? Look, I love Halloween movies, but the whole season, I think adults take it too seriously. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And I'm guaranteeing you fans of our next uh, installment will have something to say because we're going to be doing the entire Halloween franchise, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> which is going to be a labor Ooh. of love. Jacqueline, are you going to explain the timelines on that episode? <laughs> no, we are no longer doing what I had to do when I think I did The Walking Dead of like trying to get like a long synopsis. Now we're just like, we just want to make sure people know what world we're in and some of the big beats of stupidity that happened within <laughs> said world. But we're not going to try and like dissect exactly like where the canon and the timeline Ooh. is. God help yeah, us. Yeah, Walking Dead, Jacqueline's just this. reading every episode log line like, all right, season eight. Episode it nine. It was so much. Daryl and Carol. It was so much. I, I, I am so pumped to see these Halloween movies that I've not yet seen. I'm, yeah. I I want some Curse of Michael Myers. I want some Season of the Witch. This is going to be a very fun because I've seen of enough Witch. of the Halloween Such movies. A treat. I just have to fill in a couple of those gaps. So this is going to be this is going to be a fun week for old Mark Ellis. Uh, and it was a fun conversation today. So thanks to Joel Mears, the editor-in-chief of Rotten Tomatoes. Make sure y'all check out the Ultimate Binge Guide when it is released sometime in the next few weeks and or month. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow, and he occasionally retweets when I post stand updates, which you can get tickets for stand-up at markellis.live. Jacqueline Coley, my esteemed co-host, Lucy Bruckner, Producey Lucy, Christian Rubalcaba, our great engineer, for the whole team here at Rotten Tomatoes, and for all of those who fell during the Scream franchise, we send our best wishes, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.